Well, since chapter 13 in John's gospel, where we have been now for over a year, John has been recounting for us some of Jesus's upper room discourses, we call them, multiple discourses or or narratives that he has shared with his disciples, and I think indirectly then sharing them with us, although there are a few things that I think apply specifically to the disciples that may not apply directly to us, and we have to work through some of those things. But I think the majority of what Jesus says to his disciples, he is speaking through them to us. We see that in John 17, as Jesus prays not only for his disciples, but for all those who will come to know him through the ministry of his disciples. That's you and me if you know Christ here today. And so since John 13, or since chapter 13, he's been recounting these upper room discourses. Last week, Pastor Tony shared with us Jesus' challenge to his disciples that they were to not lose heart, that they were to recognize that this was a difficult time, a trying time for them. They were going into a time of shadows and darkness, and their enemy, the prince of this world, he says, was coming onto the stage now. Satan himself, in a unique way, was being ushered into this world, and the disciples were going to have to deal with that reality, even as we have to deal with that reality today, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, right? we We fight three main enemies, right? We fight this world and the prevailing thought pattern of this world and the lies that this world dishes out to us time after time after time, again and again and again. And I've shared this very specifically, particularly with you younger people here, just that reminder that our world is a liar and that the prevailing thought patterns of this world and the prevailing politics and the prevailing narratives of justice and injustice and all these things that are taking place in our world, they are by and large lies that are being fed to us on a daily basis. The scripture tells us we'll have to deal with this, right? All believers have had to deal with this throughout time. We fight the world. We fight the devil. We we fight a very real enemy. The, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the scriptures tell us, right? We fight this on a spiritual plane, But we do fight a very real enemy who who is over a very real kingdom. And then we fight our own flesh. We fight our own prevailing thinking, our own thought patterns, our own way of doing life, our own desires to please ourselves. This is a reality for us as followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus here in the Upper Room Discourses is is preparing his disciples for this reality. Get ready for this reality. The prince of this world is coming into the world. He has no leverage over me, Jesus says. And therefore, indirectly, he has no leverage over those of us who have made Jesus Christ Lord of our lives. And yet the battle is real and the battle is engaged every single day of our lives in Christ. Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's preparing us. He's sending them out on a mission, friends. And so as he's finished with that discourse there in chapter 14, he says, rise up. Let us go from there. And we assume what Jesus means uh, by that is they're going to get up and go someplace else. But the narrative doesn't seem to indicate that. And so I think that's probably best translated something to the effect of gird yourselves up and let us go meet this enemy. This this prince of this world is here. He's on the stage. Now, gird yourselves up. We have to go and face an enemy. We have work to do. Last Sunday, I was speaking to the high school youth, and we were were waiting for some paperwork or something like that, and I was stalling. And they said, "Uh, tell us something from history, which I got to tell you is a really big category, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> and for whatever reason, General Pickett's line came to me from the Civil War as he was preparing to go across a mile of open field towards about, um, he was sending 15,000 of his men against about 30,000 Union soldiers across an open field. And it's recorded that as he prepared to send his men out, he said, up men, up and to your posts. Do not let them forget today that you are from old Virginia. And off they marched in lines to be absolutely decimated by the Union line. But they went boldly and they made a good show that day. And Jesus, I think, is saying to his disciples, rise up, men. Rise up. Let's go face this enemy. Let's be bold. Let's make a good show. Let's, let's finish the task that God has given us. And so John now introduces Jesus' final I am statement. I am, Jesus says, the true vine. The seventh time that Jesus has declared himself with that statement, I am. And here he says, I am the true vine. And now Jesus is going to share with the disciples, and I think indirectly with us, three ways by which we make ourselves useless in the kingdom of God, and one way by which we demonstrate productivity in the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to share those with you now in case you begin to lose interest in my message. <laughs> We're useless, friends, in the kingdom of God when we won, when we refuse to listen to Jesus and live in the truth. When we refuse to hear the gospel, I did that for a year of my life. Heard the gospel, rejected it. Heard the gospel, rejected it. Heard the gospel, rejected it. Over and over and over again. And by the grace of God, the gospel kept coming until it finally penetrated into my heart and into my life. We make ourselves useless in the kingdom of God when we reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. We make ourselves useless in the kingdom of God when we render God or Jesus lip service, but we do not support that claim with any observable fruit or any observable action, right? Jesus is Lord, right? I am a Christian, and yet there is nothing that would indicate that, nothing that would, that would make you look different than anybody else who would say, Jesus is not Lord, and he has nothing to do with my life. I think Jesus tells the disciples, you make yourself useless for the kingdom when you do that. And then we make ourselves useless for the kingdom when we decide that Jesus is in fact who he claims to be. And we follow him for a season. And then, like Judas, we abandon him. And like Peter tried to abandon him. And like the other ten, abandoned him for a short period. We make ourselves useless in the kingdom Friends, when we abandon Jesus Christ. But we are productive in the kingdom of God when we abide with Jesus, when we remain in Christ, and when we allow God to cultivate our faith so that it grows and produces more and more fruit. We become productive members of the kingdom of God. So friends, know this today. It is a first principle in the Bible that uselessness in the kingdom of God invites disaster in your life. I know this by experience, and I know this by many, many, many years in pastoral ministry now. When we are useless in the kingdom of God, there is a destructiveness that accompanies that in our own lives. This is just a reality of life in this world, which is why, friends, week after week after week, I stand up here and I exhort you as I exhort myself to remain fast and to hold fast to Jesus Christ 
and to live faithfully for Jesus Christ and to never abandon Jesus Christ and to not allow an enemy who is now in this world who is fighting against us and a world who is lying to us and our own flesh that desires everything that we want in life and we think sometimes God ought to give it to us, to not allow those things to wrench the faith of Jesus Christ and make it useless in our lives, but that we would rise up, face an enemy, and do what God has called us to do in this world, and that is to complete a mission for Jesus Christ and to see many people come to know Christ and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to trust that Christ will be with us until the very end of the age. And so, friends, my call today at the end of this message is simply this. Abide in Jesus Christ. Abide in his love. Bear fruit. And then know full joy in Christ. And we'll draw that from our text from today. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And so... If you're new to your Bibles today, John's Gospel is the fourth of four Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. And we're in John chapter 15, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 11 today. So let's stand together, shall we? Let's honor God as we read from his word. John chapter 15, starting at verse 1, Jesus says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the, in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned." If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. And so Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, right? Jesus is the vine and his disciples are the branches. And Jesus now sends his disciples out on a mission. And so he uses the imagery of the vine or the grapevine. And this is a supreme symbol for the people of Israel throughout the Old Testament period. The vine, sometimes it's, it's the, the fig tree is also one of the symbols, but the supreme symbol is this vine that represents the people of Israel, God's people. There was a great golden vine that trailed along the temple porch as people went in. It was carved into the, the temple uh, edifice there. As you would go in, you would see this beautiful golden vine that represented God's people and the people of Israel. Archaeologists have uncovered uh, coins that were minted from 68 to 70 AD during the Great Revolt against the Roman Empire, and on those coins is the vine representing God's people, uh, the people of Israel. Israel saw their nation as the true vine. 
But here Jesus corrects that and reminds them that Israel's true vine is not the nation, but it is the nation's Messiah. It is Christ himself. He is the true vine. And so their their understanding has to begin to be changed. And they need to see that this vine is not so much them as it is the Messiah who comes and redeems his people. Now Jesus, when he says that he is the true vine, I think is clearly referencing Psalm 80. And we don't have time to go to Psalm 80 today. But I would invite you to do that at some point, preferably not now while I'm preaching. But at some time, you can look at Psalm 80 and you can see what Jesus seems to be doing here because Psalm 80 blends the nation of Israel as that son that came up out of Egypt, right? This this vine that comes up out out of Egypt, but then blends that as well later on in Psalm 80 with the son of man that you raised up, God, for yourself. And so this vine that has been brought out of Egypt, blending together with the Son of Man, whom God has raised up for himself. Jesus is referencing this here in Psalm 80 as he speaks to his disciples. I am the true vine, he says. I am that vine that that we have looked at as the people of Israel and, and saw as our own nation, and certainly the vine, again, represented the nation, and God himself would call Israel this vine. But in Jeremiah, we see what God thinks about the vine when he says to this vine, speaking, I think, to the nation, what am I to do with you, right? You are a degenerate vine. This is a vine that had gone astray. This is a people that had gone astray, and that God had been working with these people for years and years and years and years. And so grapevines need almost constant care. They're pruned at least twice a year. They have to be cleaned out. Old vines have to be removed. Uh, this, uh, this, uh, this vine is, is essentially utilitarian. In other words, the vine exists to produce fruit. Once it's produced fruit, it's not good for anything anymore, right? You don't use grapevines for much of anything other than just to burn them. Certainly you didn't in Jesus' day. And so this vine has to be cultivated. There has to be somebody taking care of this vine all the time. And here Jesus says, here I have the Father as a vine dresser who's caring for the vine. And I am the vine and I am am sending this nourishment out to you, to the branches. And you need to receive that. And all those branches that are not receiving the sap from the vine, eventually they just have to be cut off. They have to be removed. They're thrown into a pile, and that pile eventually withers, and then that pile has no use other than simply to be burned. And so Jesus is speaking of the, the reality of what these disciples had seen many, many times in their lives, and is saying, this is This is the storyline of the people of Israel. This is the storyline of you as my people, as my disciples. You will need to remain attached vitally to the vine in order to continue to be productive. And God himself is the one who will tend the vine, right? He will will take those branches that are not bearing fruit. He will remove them. But the branches that are bearing fruit, he will prune them back, right? He will do the work of making them more productive, right? It's his work. And he'll go about taking care of that, that, that task of adding to the productivity of those who are remaining, abiding in the vine, abiding in 
Jesus Christ. Apart from that work, Jesus says, we can do nothing. There's nothing of any value for the kingdom that we can do if we detach ourselves from the vine. We just become useless branches. Now God's task is simply to remove us and then burn us. But if we will produce fruit, if we will abide in Christ, his task will be to increase our productivity. So pruning here is a very positive thing, friends. It's something that is positive. It's not something that is negative. And I think if we were more willing to accept God cutting away some of what we consider to be good in our lives, we would probably find that the pruning didn't oftentimes have to lead to what we would simply call discipline in our lives, right? If we would just allow God to do the work that God is willing to do in our lives and to say, I'm not going to hold on to everything so tightly with a tight fist, but allow God to do the work in me that he wants to do in me, he will do that pruning and there will be more productivity in our lives. But so many of us, myself at times, right, we are holding on with a death grip on these things and therefore the pruning is painful at times. The pruning begins to look a whole lot more like discipline. Here's the reality, friends, and I've said this before, but I think it's a true biblical reality. We simply will not prune ourselves. We will not break ourselves. We want what we want. We want good things. We want to succeed. And therefore, we are always striving for these things. It takes God to prune us. It takes God to do the hard work because we won't do it ourselves. Oftentimes, we won't even do it in other people's lives in the people's lives that we love. And so it takes God to do these things because we won't break ourselves. Sometimes God has to break us. And this is a positive thing that's painful, but it produces more, more fruit, as it were, in our lives. And so God has been tending to a useless vine for many generations. Israel has been unfruitful. They are degenerate. And now in this call to mission for these disciples, Jesus has to say, you've got to remain steadfastly connected to me if this mission is going to succeed. Friends, Israel failed in its mission. Israel's call was to be a light to the nations, to be a light to the Gentiles, and they failed in that mission. But that mission still needs to be accomplished. And so Jesus now sends out his disciples on this mission. Listen to what he does here in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5. You are the light of the world, he says here to his disciples. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Very similar to the mission for the people of Israel, right? They were to be a light to the nations, right? They were to take this light of, of Yahweh, God dwelling with his people, and demonstrate to the nations what this was like, to make the nations jealous for this God. And Israel failed. The disciples must not fail, Jesus says. You must remain vitally attached to me in the vine you must remain vitally attached to my love and the love of the Father. You must allow the Father to do the pruning work so that the productivity may increase because the mission must go forward, right? The enemy is here and we must rise up and face the enemy and fulfill the mission that Israel did not fulfill. 
And so Jesus isn't just telling them, I want you to be fulfilled personally, so hang with me. I'm not saying he's not saying any of that. He loves these men individually. But I think what he's saying to them collectively is, we got a mission to do. And I'm going to be leaving for a while. I'll be with you in a vital, unique way, right? I will send the Spirit. I will send the Helper. And He will come. And He will nourish you. And you will dwell in my love as I dwell in the Father's love. And we will abide together. And this mission will be accomplished. Friends, the Scriptures promise us that the church of Jesus Christ cannot and will not fail, right? We cannot fail. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. We will succeed. The church of Jesus Christ, with all of its warts, including LifePoint Church, with all of its struggles and all the problems of so many different people, including myself, coming together, the church of Jesus Christ is the pillar and the foundation of the truth in this world, the scriptures tell us. God reveals his plan to the heavenly beings. And he demonstrates what Paul says is his manifold wisdom in doing exactly what we're doing. Maybe not exactly what we're doing, but what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. It's as if God lays it before all of our enemies in the heavenly realms and all of the angels in the heavenly realms and says, this is why I did what I did. This is why Christ went and wrapped himself in flesh. This is why the cross happened. This is why the glorious resurrection. This is why the church prevailing. This is why it's doing it in a world full of sin and hatred. This is why we see people walk away from Jesus. This is why we see people come to Jesus. This is why. Because the church of Jesus Christ will not fail. We will succeed in the mission But there will be casualties along the way. And Jesus says, you don't want to be a casualty. Hold fast to the vine. Draw your nourishment from me, and I will see to it that you and this mission will succeed. He is going to leave them, but he tells them, I leave you as clean people, right? I have already spoken to you, and I've made you clean. How? He's spoken to them the word. He's shared the gospel with them, and they've responded to the gospel, and now they're clean, right? They've gone through the cleansing process of hearing the gospel, responding to the gospel, repenting of their sin, and drawing close to Christ. None of them do it perfectly. None of you do it perfectly. I don't do it perfectly. But we've heard the gospel. We've responded to the gospel, and we are clean. Friends, when our enemy and when this world and when your own flesh, your own mind tells you you're a sinner, you're not useful for the kingdom, you're welcome to say that is an outright lie. And I am productive for the kingdom of God. And I am holding fast to Christ. And I will move forward with the church of Jesus Christ. And the church will prevail. This is what God has given us in Christ, friends. We individually, abiding in Christ, corporately, as LifePoint Church, abiding in Christ, the people of God across the ages, abiding in Christ, drawing our nourishment from the vine, fulfilling the mission that God has given us in this world. The gospel has been proclaimed to these disciples, and they are clean. It has transformed them. And so are you, if you know Jesus Christ today. 
And you also were included in Christ Jesus when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing all these things right, that Christ has promised us. And all of it, Paul says there in Ephesians 1, is for the glory of God. It's all for the glory of God. You've heard it. You've received it. Now you have the Spirit, right? This is what Jesus has been promising the disciples, right? I'm leaving, but I'm going to send a helper. He will be with you, right? The Spirit will be with you. This mission will not be accomplished because you're smart or you're strong. It's the, it'll be accomplished because you remi- remain vitally connected to Jesus Christ. You abide in Jesus Christ. And so these disciples and we must maintain contact with the vine if the mission is to be successful, friends. My father was a first sergeant in World War II, and he was over a company called a heavy weapons company, uh, mortars and machine guns. And occasionally, when the main army was on the move, uh, my father's company, some other companies as well, would go out ahead of the main army and they would lay down what they call suppressing fire, right? They would try to keep the, in this case, the Germans back so that the army could advance and take more territory. And so they would go out ahead of the army, lay down suppressing fire. Now that's a dangerous job because, you know, the enemy, they're sending people out and they're laying down suppressing fire. So here's what they had to do. They had to go out far enough in order to make way for the, for the advancing army. But you don't go out too far, because if you go out too far, you get cut off. And when you get cut off, really bad things happen in war. And so there was this balance between how far do we go, how far do we allow the advance. And sometimes, you know, you don't make the decision. Someone above you makes a decision and says, this is how far you're going out, and that's how far you go. But the idea was to get out there, but not get out there so far that you cut yourself off from the main army and the other enemy can come in behind you and you find yourself surrounded. Very, very difficult and dangerous task. Friends, this is similar to us in the kingdom of God, right? We have been called by Christ to go out on mission, right? We are to go and make disciples, and we are to teach them and to equip them, and Christ is with us the whole time. We go out ahead. But we dare not go out so far that we break ourselves off from the vine, right? We advance, but we don't advance too far. This is why the same John who wrote this gospel says in 2 John that there are some who have gone out ahead and have therefore denied the faith, right? They've figured, they've got it figured out even better than the disciples and the apostles of Jesus. They're going to go out. They've got a new teaching. God's given them a new revelation. He's doing new things. And so they're going to go out with their own revelation. They're going to do their own work, right? And they've gone out so far ahead, John says, that they've cut themselves off from the vine. And therefore, they've made themselves useless for the kingdom of God. We dare not go out so far that we cut ourselves off from the nourishment of the vine, And therefore, what do we have to do, friends? Well, we have to do what I've said multiple times already. And the reason why I'm saying them multiple times is, number one, when I preach, I repeat myself. And number two, because Jesus has a tendency to repeat himself. In fact, you probably haven't taken the time to count this, but I did. In these verses that I just read you, ten times Jesus uses the word abide. Ten times. Either us abiding in him or him abiding in us or him abiding in the Father or the Father abiding in him or us abiding in the Father by abiding through Christ. 
But 10 times he will say, abide, 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 abide. He's repeating himself. He's making sure we get the idea that we need to abide in Christ. We need to remain attached to the vine. And so the teaching here, friends, is actually relatively basic. Stay close to Jesus, and the Father will continue to do a good work in you, and you will continue to be productive. In fact, you will be increasingly productive. Do not remain close to Jesus. You will cease to be productive, and eventually you will be gathered up like a dead branch. You'll be discarded, and you will be burned, friends. Now, again, this is the Jesus that our culture says he doesn't say anything bad. He only talks about love. He only talks about justice. He only wants to say good things. Well, he is saying a good thing here. He's reminding you and me that if we do not stay connected to the vine, we will be discarded. And in biblical imagery, friends, that which is discarded from the kingdom of God is burned up. It is ultimately set aside and cast aside. This is Jesus who's saying these things to the disciples and to you and to me as well. Look what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 13. He told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put some manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, well, you can cut it down. Now, we don't have time to go into that text, but what leads into that text is some people coming to Jesus and saying, did you hear what happened in Galilee? There were some of our brothers who went to offer sacrifices, and Pilate, the Roman procurator, had them slaughtered right there. They mingled their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. And you think Jesus is going to say, that's terrible. Let's go get that Pilate. But he doesn't. He says, do you think those people were worse sinners than all of you? They weren't worse sinners. And so here's what I say to you, Jesus says. Repent, or you'll perish too. Those are the words of Jesus Christ, friends. And then he goes into this parable and says, let me tell you a parable that relates to this, right? There are some who are growing, right? But they're not producing fruit. And eventually, and I don't know when that time is for you. I know for me, God gave me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and I praise God for that. But I don't know how many opportunities we get. But eventually the opportunities end, friends. Eventually, you're just using up ground and you're cast aside. It's not as if God is not tending this. It is not as if he's not working the ground, trying to bring about, to cajole, as it were, fruit from your lives in my life. But if we refuse to abide, eventually he cuts us off and sets us aside. That is the truth of the gospel, friends. Some respond. And some do not. And some pretend to respond, but they didn't respond. And some look like they responded for a long, long time. And then they abandon Jesus. And by abandoning Jesus, they demonstrate that they never belonged to Jesus Christ. Friends, unfruitful Christians will be discarded. They will be discarded. And some of those will just demonstrate by that that they made an outward profession but there was no evidence of a real union and abiding with Jesus Christ. Now, we see in verse 7 another Jesus' promises to the disciples that whatever they ask 
he is going to give them. But here again, friends, this is not a name it and claim it task or, or, or uh, text. This is not one of those, if you use Jesus' name and you say it in the right context, then Jesus has to give you something. Notice what Jesus does here. If you abide in me, right, and we abide in you, my Father and I, if we abide in you, then ask anything you want, right? What is he saying? He's saying when you're on task, when you're on mission, right, when you're not asking things to gratify yourself, but when you are on mission and you are abiding in Christ and Christ is abiding in you, everything we need to fulfill this mission has been given to us and will be given to us. We only need to ask and we will be supplied with what we need to fulfill the mission. If our mission is to fulfill our own desires, friends, that is not abiding in Christ. Jesus isn't saying to the disciples, hey, after I uh, die and am resurrected and ascend to the Father, then, you know, if you want to start a fishing business, just ask and I'll give you all the money you need for that, right? Or if you want to go out and start, you know, some, a, a better Matthew tax collecting business, right? Just let me know because I'm there to make sure that I underwrite the whole thing for you. That's not what he's saying, right? He's saying, remain on mission, remain vitally connected to me as I'm connected to the Father, and I'll give you everything you need to fulfill the mission. This is a great promise of Jesus Christ. Friends, answered prayer is a fruit that accompanies abiding in Christ. It's a fruit that accompanies abiding in Jesus Christ. So now, to make the point one more time, the proof of being a disciple of Christ is that we bear good fruit. We bear good fruit. That's the proof, friends. By good fruit, we simply mean we do what Christ has called us to do. We are living in obedience to Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I'm 36 seconds over my time. Maybe this is the way of saying, oh, no, there. Thank you, Lord. You will recognize them by your fruits, by their fruits. Grapes don't grow on thorn bushes. You'll never find figs on thistles, Jesus says. Healthy trees bear good fruit. Unhealthy trees do not bear fruit. And therefore, they are cut down and they are discarded. You will recognize them, Jesus says, by their fruits. Notice he sandwiches that statement with that statement, friends. He's the one saying this you will recognize whether or not people follow Jesus Christ by their fruit, not by their words all the time, but by the fruit that they are producing. And then finally here, as I close, Jesus offers us full joy, friends. He offers us full joy in him. So let's zoom in on verses 9 through 11 here quickly. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Honestly, Someday I just need to take that text and preach that text because that is not a throwaway text. Listen to what Jesus is saying there. As the Father loves Jesus, now Jesus loves us. That's huge. That's huge. He's inviting us into a Trinitarian relationship. He's not inviting us into be God. He's inviting us into the love that God the Father shares with God the Son. That's an amazing thing that Jesus says there. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? 
full, right? Not complete, not everything you wanted, not you'll never know sorrow in this world, but you will have a full joy in Christ. How? By abiding in Christ. We got to say it again, don't we? Abiding in Christ. Abide in him. Abide in his love. As the Father loves Jesus, he loves us. Now, live in that love and know full joy in Jesus Christ. This is a great promise of God. How will we do that? We'll obey his commandments. He's just told us that, right? I've had some people who have said, you keep telling us we're supposed to obey Jesus' commandments, but you don't tell us what Jesus' commandments are. And so let me do that right now, and I'll just quote Jesus. This is my commandment that you love one another, right? That's a commandment of Jesus. Live in that commandment, friends. Love one another. Demonstrate that love for one another. Let's stop poo-pooing everything in life. Let's stop walking around so morose as if we're not getting everything we want in life. And let's learn to love one another and abide in Christ and be on mission and up and to our posts and face an enemy and do the task that God has called us to do. And we will know full joy. We will know full joy in Jesus Christ, friends. Now, for some, abiding in Christ will be some grand mystical experience. But for most of us, it will simply mean arranging our lives and our prayer and our time in Christ's word and in God's word in such a way that there's never a day that we forget that we are in Christ and that Christ is in us. Abide in his word, friends, and you are clean. You are clean. Abide in the word of Jesus Christ. Obey his commandments. Know full joy. So do you want to know or do you want to do things that matter to the kingdom of God. Right? Some of you are here and you're saying, I, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't give a rip about the kingdom of God. I get it. If you don't know Christ, this stuff makes zero sense. It makes zero sense. I pray that God will open your eyes and your heart so that it will make sense and you'll see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those of you who do know Christ, do you want to be productive in the kingdom of God? You and I will do that by abiding in Christ. We're branches. We're not the vine. We need the vine. Abide in the vine and you will be productive in the kingdom. And the promise of Jesus is that not only will you be productive, but your productivity will increase over time as God does the work of pruning you and making you a healthy, healthy branch connected vitally to Jesus Christ. So let's abide in Christ, friends. Let's abide in his love and let's know full joy. Amen? Amen. God, I pray that that would be a reality for us, that we would indeed abide in Jesus, that Jesus would abide in us as you've promised he will do, Lord God, that we will know your love through Christ. It will come to us, that we will live faithfully for Jesus, God, that we will obey the commandments of Christ. We will remain vitally connected to the vine, God, that nobody within my earshot of my words today will be that branch that gets discarded and thrown into the fire, but that we will be productive, Father, individually and corporately here at LifePoint Church. I pray that for us today in Jesus' name. Amen.